Good evening, Rye residents, and welcome to the All Time Podcast. I am your co-host, Nick Ivanovich, and alongside with me today is my friend and Hollywood insider, Chris Laszlo. How are you, Chris? I'm well, Nick. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to be breaking down a list of the top 10 movies ever made. A couple weeks ago, my brother and I did a podcast on the worst movies ever made, and so G. Lee will not be making a return uh, to this podcast. All right, I am coming very strong out of the box here with my uh, first movie, and we have one rule for this podcast, no sequels. So with that, I'm taking Godfather 2 off the list, and it's Godfather 1, all right? So if you had Godfather 2 on that, I'm really sorry. Apologies. Uh, so why this is the greatest movie ever made? The cast, right? Uh, this, this is the, one of the first movies where you have three Academy Award winners on uh, on screen at one time, you have uh, Marlon Brando, you've got Robert Duvall, and you have Al Pacino. Uh, James Caan was nominated for this movie, but he, he did not win, and he did not win in, in his later nominations. But uh, this is an all-star cast, and Diane Keaton is also on there as well, and she has won an Academy Award too. Uh, this this was sort of the launching pad for their careers. But the 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 person who everybody equates The Godfather to is Marlon Brando, who plays Don Vito. Vito Corleone, The Godfather. There is never a dull moment in this movie. It is three hours long. Right? It's one of the first movies that, that were this long, and you're not, sort of, you're not anxious about something else to happen next. You're like, well, when is there going to be a better scene? Uh, it starts off with a wedding scene of his daughter, and you realize what a powerful man he is without basically using any mafia cliches, and the the movie progresses through it's it, it's sort of a transformation from 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 uh, Marlon Brando being the head of the family to later in the movie to the last basically hour of it with Al Pacino being the head of the family in it and it's a great family dynamic where you've got the moron brother and John Caselli uh, but he's he's also a terrific actor and it's mm-hmm. been about five of the greatest probably hundred movies of, of one all of the time. greats five uh, great pictures and uh, you've got sort of the uh, the hot tempered older brother Sonny mm-hmm. played by James Caan uh, and uh, Diane Keaton's great in this you have the German Irish uh, adopted son uh, Tom Hagen played by Robert Duvall who, who becomes the consigliere for the family. Uh, and uh, obviously Al Pacino, uh, who is the youngest son. He's the, uh, the son that uh, Marlon Brando is, is, is his favorite. He's the smartest. Uh, and he never wanted this life for his son. Um, but uh, there are so many great quotes in this movie. Uh, and the character actors in this as well. That, that's what makes this a, a truly great movie. Yeah, you've got the stars, right? But when, it, when a movie is casted, you have some character actors and you maybe have 30, 40 lines and they just sort of... You know, they they take away from the greatness of the film, yeah. and I'm talking about one character actor, character actor, Richard Richard Castellano, oh, right? I knew it. I knew it. And uh, he's got some of the best quotes when they're about to kill Virgil Salazzo. He's, he's he, they're sitting in the basement. He's showing them how to use the gun, <laughs> and he's like, "Listen, these things happen. You know, these wars, right? They happen once every ten years. Keeps everybody in line." And make sure that nobody gets too far. Kind of like Hitler in Munich in '38. We should never, never let him. Like I don't know how you get that analogy. And when he's making the sauce, he's like, "Listen, this is what you got to do. You got to get your sausage and your peppers. Throw in a couple onions. Shove it all in, right? You got yourself a sauce. I tried that and, recipe. And a, little, and, and a little sugar, right? A little red wine, right? You might be cooking for 20 guys one day. Yeah. Drop the, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Uh, 
Godfather One. If it's not on the, it's on everybody's top ten list. Uh, the only re- you know, the, it won for best uh, best director actually, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, I and, think picture. And, and no, it did, it did not win for best picture actually. No, no. Alfred S. Duddy won for best picture, yeah. uh, and uh, and then obviously best screenplay, uh, and then Marlon Brando won for um, for for best actor. Got it. Uh, yeah. And uh, this is the uh, it, it it's on TV. One week out of the year, it's on AMC. They play it on a loop. Right. The Godfather. You're just hoping for Godfather three not to be not to be played. Uh, but this is the uh, this is the this is the greatest family movie and greatest gangster movie right. ever made. All right. Well, let, let's let's backtrack a bit. I wouldn't call it a family film. I would call it. I don't want the kids watching it just yet, but I would call it one of the all-time great family dramas. I'm saying fifteen, <laughs> fifteen and older. Okay, okay just to be clear. All right, to our listeners. All right, you're up. So, number one on my list, mm-hmm. on the waterfront, an all-timer, one of the great screenwriters, Bud Schulberg, uh, Academy Award winner for On the Waterfront. So apparently Bud spent a number of months researching the film. The film itself is about uh, a longshoreman played by uh, Marlon Brando who is connected to the mafia on the waterfront and has been given a cushy job essentially to keep quiet about what he sees. And so his friend is thrown off the roof in the first scene and killed. And uh, that thrusts him into a moral dilemma. Because uh, the, the uh, I wouldn't call them the feds, but uh, the cops come questioning, and uh, he says he hasn't seen anything, and the um, that dilemma builds over time, and he finds himself with a priest, a very righteous priest called uh, Father O'Malley, played by preternaturally gifted Carl Malden, and so this is one of the great character arcs in cinema. I would put it right behind Pacino's arc in The Godfather, where Brando goes from this really uh, lackadaisical, uninterested, listless guy to empowered by this decision. And the interesting thing about this film is that a couple of years prior, the film was released in 1954. A few years prior, Bud Schulberg, the writer, and Elliot Kazan, the director, found themselves... Um, in front of HUAC, the House of Un-American Activities Committee. And they essentially named names, they gave names of working Hollywood writers, directors, creatives, who aligned themselves with the Communist Party. And as a result, those named were banned from Hollywood, unable to make a living. And so naturally when the film came out, as we know at the core of the story is Brando and whether or not he's gonna tell the truth about his friend and what he's seen. So Bud Schulberg was asked what was the motivation for writing this film and he said, well, I wanted to tell the story of these courageous men on the waterfront who risked their lives uh, for truth. And Kazan um, wasn't so modest. He said uh, that this was his way of essentially justifying his having name names before the committee. So great film urge you to check it out alright my next flick is a Jonathan Demme directed film Silence of the Lambs uh, this was the I guess one, probably one of the first horror movies in a way uh, to uh, 
to basically sweep the Oscars. Uh, best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress. Uh, Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. plays the Hannibal Lecter, the psychopathic uh, cannibal uh, who was a serial killer. And Jodie Foster plays the FBI agent. And together, they solve uh, a, a serial killer. Uh, they also have great character actors in this. Ted Levine um, is, uh, uh, is, or, is, uh, is in this. And, he's, and he, plays the, uh, he plays the serial killer. Uh, Buffalo Bill uh, and this movie came out uh, and uh, it was basically the, you know they, they had psycho in the 60s uh, but the, but basically no no movies after that could sort of capture an audience at the same time they're thinking this is a scary movie right where there are twists and turns it's obviously truly suspenseful suspenseful but also you cannot wait right you know to basically talk about this movie after dinner for the next three hours, okay? Uh, and Anthony Hopkins, obviously, the he's one of the greatest actors of, of all time. Uh, he's he's done tons of dramas. He's done um, the uh, Howard's End, which I, which he also won an Academy Award for. But this movie, where he plays the uh, uh, the serial killer, right? Every scene in that movie, every exchange between him and Jodie Foster in that movie, right, is 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 worth is worth watching over and over again. If you had that on a on a VHS, you you press rewind. Uh, and obviously, they, they they have great quotes um, when uh, when 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 they bring out you know Han, the Hannibal Lecter character to meet the senator from from Tennessee because their daughter has gone missing, right? And uh, his last line to her is he goes, "Oh, senator, one other thing, love the suit." Right, <laughs> and basically they obviously they find this girl. They solve the uh, they solve the murder, uh, but then Hannibal Lecter has broken out of this jail, and it obviously sets up the next uh, uh, the next Silence of the Lambs. But uh, terrific acting in this. Uh, Jodie Foster, she plays the vulnerable uh, character, um, and you know you're you're always wondering in this movie is he going to kill her at the end obviously he's a he's a demented human being who who takes life without without thinking twice about it but uh he lets her live uh and it breaks down her her vulnerabilities uh on a rough childhood right he dives deep into that so it's a psychological thriller uh but at the same time the acting in this is so far superior to any thriller before that or after this, uh, and you understand why Jodie Foster has won two Academy Awards and why Anthony Hopkins has won two Academy Awards. The Silence of the Lambs uh, is uh, it's, it's, it's a movie that I can put on and watch 10 minutes of, right? And yes, the quotes are somewhat demented and everything, and, and there's a bit of dark humor in it, which people weren't really expecting, but Jonathan Demme has done tons of movies with dark humor and it's something wild with Ray Liotta yeah. no, no any Griffin yeah. right and so he brings in these the, the, these troublesome characters but uh, the, the directing is and Scott Glenn is in it and he's fantastic as the as the FBI boss uh, but this is sort of the, the, the cat and mouse game between the two major players Jodie Foster and, uh, and Anthony Hopkins and uh, while there's not really a, a winner in this movie uh it's basically two and a half hours of of suspense from the beginning to the end, where you don't know what is going to happen, and you're actually worried if Jodie Foster is going to survive in this. And I think that's what makes it so great is that you don't know if the protagonist is going to live, and you're somewhat rooting 
for uh, for Hannibal for the Hannibal Lecter character. Oddly enough, I have no idea why, but you kind of you you're sort of mesmerized by him, and you want him in throughout the movie. All right. So, uh, Sounds of the Lambs. All right, what do you got next for your second pick? I've got uh, Le Samurai by Jean-Pierre Melville, um, one of the disciples of the French New Wave. Uh, um, his take on the uh, on on the hitman I find to be one of the great psychological thrillers of all time um, and uh, there are many questions that arise in watching the film um, we watch uh, the wonderful Alain Delon um, really traverse the dark and shadowy lonely streets of Paris for a majority of the film so it opens with Delone in bed in this really spare French apartment with really high ceilings. He's got a bird in a cage. He's smoking a cigarette. The cinematography photography itself is really muted. So that coupled with the cigarette smoke gives us a good idea of what the atmosphere is going to be like in this movie. And uh, uh, if you've ever seen Drive with Ryan Gosling and, and, and analyzing Ryan Gosling in general as an actor, he's sort of an impassive and spare kind of performer. Um, it's hard to deny that perhaps he's taken a cue from Delon's performance here. It uh, it deals with a hitman who uh, carries out a murder, and upon exiting the establishment where he's committed the murder, he runs into a girl, and he breaks the first rule of his trade, which is do not leave any witnesses. He allows her to live. He leaves. He's picked up by the police a short time later. And a large chunk of the second act uh, takes place in a police station where a very intelligent, uh, at times brutish, uh, by any means necessary type personality cop um, in- interrogates probably 20 or so Frenchmen who fit the description. And I won't give away the third act, but it's... Oh, it's a slow burn and psychologically again is just one of the more pitch perfect pitch perfect films if you have any doubts uh, for those who enjoy critical acclaim it's got a 100 on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, yeah that's what I've got alright the first basically the beginning of the blockbuster movies 1975 Jaws, mm. Spielberg's second movie. Uh, his first one was the Sugarland Express, uh, and uh, the, he's this young director, uh, and they've uh, Universal brings him on to do this, uh, and uh, they have this incredible cast. Right, Roy Scheider, who's been in some of the greatest movies ever, French Connection, Marathon Man, uh, and Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, and this is where actually nepotism was okay. Uh, Arthur Arthur Scheinberg <laughs> was the head of Universal at the time, right? He's right. the head of the head of the studio. He has his wife Lorraine Gary mm-hmm. play play Chief Brody's wife, and she's actually not bad in this. Uh, but obviously, the, the the greatest quotes we're going to need a bigger boat um, is in this, and uh, uh, Robert Shaw uh, is 
Probably he's been nominated for four Academy Awards. He's not won any. Um, and Richard Dreyfus. Obviously, this was the launching career, uh, point for the career of Richard Dreyfus, really, as he would win uh, an Academy Award a, a few years later. And he's also in, in another Spielberg movie. But uh, the premise is is a, a great white shark attacks uh, a, a kid on a, a kid on a sleepy sort of uh, New England. Actually, it's, it's set in uh, Martha's Vineyard, right? right? In yeah, and this was sort of the, you know, the summer blockbuster, the great white shark, something that's never been seen here before. Uh, people can't believe it. They try to cover it up in the beginning. And then uh, Roy Scheider plays a, a police chief, uh, Chief Brody. He's got to then hire uh, Robert Shaw, Captain Quint, uh, to go catch a shark. And they bring on the National Geographic uh, sort of rich kid, Richard Dreyfus, on this. Uh, and uh, the exchanges between Dreyfus and Shaw are classic in this between sort of the working man's Boston guy. He's got the thick, you know, he's got the thick New England accent. And uh, Richard, Richard Dreyfus is sort of the intellectual on this. Uh, there's, there's a great sort of, back, you know, backstory to this is that uh, uh, Universal didn't want Spielberg to see what the shark looked like, right? So he and Scorsese break into Universal's lot wow. under the influence. We're not going to say what substance they were on on this. It's a family ride, guys. We can assume. Right? We can assume, right? Okay. So they break in and they see this shark. And it's a shark that's out of like a 1930s movie. Right. Spielberg, the paranoia, you know, basically hits him right there. He goes, oh, my God, Marty, this is the worst thing yeah, ever, right? right? He, goes, he goes, don't worry about it, Stephen. Let me think. Here it is. The suspense is not the shark. It's about the water, right? That's what it is. He goes, okay, this is great. So basically, the water is the frightening part of that movie, right? right. It's not the shark. Yes, there's some gory scenes with some, you know, the, the, the shark eating people and you see blood spilling over, but it's the water. That's a suspenseful it's the part. the water and it's the POV of the shark huh. moving through the water coupled with that incredible score. So, so Spielberg... This movie is supposed to be shot over 30 days in Martha's right. Vineyard. It takes 150 days to shoot. <laughs> All right, He's got visa problems for Robert Shaw, who's got to be flown to Nova Scotia every two right. weeks, stashed there for a day, then come back. Richard Dreyfus is a recreational drug user at this point. Okay, They can't find him some morning. She's shacked up with different women on right, the island right. and everything and like that. Shaw was tying him on, too. Uh, yeah, exactly. And Shaw would make fun of him. He would throw right. potentially anti-Semitic comments at him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and basically, this was, the, 70s. this was the movie that launched Steven Spielberg's career, uh, launched Richard Dreyfuss's career, uh, and, uh, and Roy Scheider obviously was already a... He was middle-aged at sort of at this point. He was in his late 30s, okay? But he had a fantastic career after this. Uh, and uh, this is the summer blockbuster that can be watched at any point in the year, right? Uh, Jaws is on on Shark Week a lot, okay? And uh, it's the acting that does it for this sort of the, the suspenseful. I mean, when, when you have a summer blockbuster, right, where it's supposed to be making $250 million, like a superhero movie or something like that, or a Armageddon, or or a Titanic. This is the truly superior acting in this uh, in in this movie, and Robert Shaw, pretty much care. You know, he 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 and Richard Dreyfuss are probably the the two best actors in there, and the exchanges between them when they're on the boat with each other, they're drunk, talking about talking about the the sh the, the shark scars that they've yeah, got, yeah. and uh, to, to to finish this up, the great quote on that is Robert Shaw is a World War II veteran. 
He talks about being on the USS Indianapolis, which was a ship that, that delivered the atomic bomb that ended World War II. But a Japanese sub would, uh, would shoot a torpedo at it after it, after it delivered the bomb. And 1,100 men went in the sea and in, in the ocean, and only 300 survived, right? Mm -hmm. The rest were eaten by sharks, right? right? He's talking about it. He's like, sometimes the shark wouldn't go away. Have you ever seen a shark up close? It's got, it's got the eyes. They go black like a doll's eyes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, by first light, I, I, I saw my friend Herbie Robinson, ball player out of Cleveland. I tapped him on his shoulder, upended by a tiger shark. I'm never getting in the water again with a, with a life preserver on. Right? This, he is, he, Robert Shaw, I, I, I'm still upset, even though he's been dead for 35 years, why he didn't win the Academy Award for this. But mm -hmm. Jaws, I can see this on, on July 4th. And I could also see it on <laughs> in the in the dead of winter sometime. All right, you're up. Okay, so number three, it's a documentary called "Dear Zachary: A Letter to His Son About His Father." Now, I will preface my uh, my next remarks by saying that this is a movie you'll probably only want to see once. Uh, it's harrowing. It's poignant. Uh, there will be tears, I suspect. Uh, and it deals with uh, the true crime story of uh, Andrew Bagby, who was a medical student who was murdered by his uh, on and off again girlfriend, who was 13 years his senior. And uh, around the time the, uh, the Bagbys were going to trial, uh, his friend Kurt Kuhn, who wrote, directed, produced, shot this, edited this film, um, started, uh, he's an old friend from, from childhood, he started uncovering all this, 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 uh, this old footage of, uh, of the murder victim, Andrew, his friend. And so he started putting it together and had the idea, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect the, uh, the, the home movies and I'm going to make a little film for Andrew Bagby's unborn child who at that time was in the womb of the woman alleged to have murdered him. And so she fled to Newfoundland, Canada. And if you're a crime junkie, this is the film for you. Uh, there's twist after turn and twist after turn. I won't reveal anything more, but uh, it, I consider it one of the great docs of all time, one of the more moving uh, cogent, well put together docs that are out there, and uh, and so I hope you can check it out. All right, my next film. I don't know how Martin Scorsese did not win Best Director for this. He also didn't win Best Director for Raging Bull, mm -hmm. Taxi Driver, uh, <laughs> or Mean Streets. Uh, I don't know but what uh, he said or did. Uh, Academy, he, but. he probably he probably pissed some people off, uh, but. Uh, uh, Goodfellas uh, came out 1990. Uh, this is the story of Henry Hill, a half Irish, half Italian gangster, uh, set in the starting about his childhood, his sort of induction into low-level street crime in the 1950s, to graduating to being being a, a family associate. He could never be be a made man in a mafia family uh, because he had Irish blood. But it talks about his basically crime spree from about 1960 to 1983, the time of his final arrest, where he was the first major mobster to inform on his bosses. And this was a sensational case. He's in the witness protection program. He died a few, a few years ago. Uh, but 
Talk about an all-star cast, right? Paul Sorvino plays the mob boss. Um, Robert De Niro plays the, thug, the, the, the evil, truly evil Irish gangster, Jimmy Conway, whose real name in, in, in life is James Burke. Uh, Joe Pesci wins the Academy Award for this. Uh, well as, uh, as, as, as Tommy DeVito, the insane sort of psychopathic, uh, uh, loose cannon sort of gangster. And Ray Liotta really launches his career here uh, with this movie. And he's, he made some sort of great movies after that. Uh, but uh, he plays Henry Hill. It's actually, you actually root for, you, you, you're rooting for a criminal here in this, right? Because you see that Henry isn't completely evil. And there's a last scene in the movie where he's talking to the famed U.S. prosecutor, Ed McDonald, right? Where he's trying to tell him he's bronchial and he can't be sent to a cold weather place. He's like, Henry, if you're legitimately bronchial, all right, we'll, we'll talk about that, right? But even Ed McDonald had said, he said, you know, everybody liked Henry, right? Right? I mean, there he is sitting with his wife and he's got his two mistresses outside. He's wondering if he can take them with him to, to, to witness protection, Right. right? He was a he was a likable character in this. Robert De Niro was truly, truly evil. Um, uh, you know, Joe Pesci also evil, right? Also truly charismatic in this as well. You're a funny guy. That exchange in there right. that is, is is classic. Also, when they're at their mother's, where where they're at Joe Pesci's mother's house, and they got to ask her if they can take the knife because they've hit a deer on the road. Really, they got a guy in the trunk. Like, right. ma, it's a sin. It's the hoof, the paw, the paw, <laughs> right? Okay. And uh, played by uh, Scorsese's mom. Yeah. Uh, yes. Exactly. And uh, this is a three-hour movie. Uh, it takes place from a, from a, the innocence of a young boy in Brooklyn to his final arrest in 1980, I think, two or 83 on uh, narcotics trafficking, right? You become a coke dealer, which was a no-go for the, for, for the mob bosses then, uh, which is why he flips. Uh, but you see, you see Henry from sort of the, the, this wide-eyed kid, right? He gets arrested later in 1970, but he gets out. But then the explosion of cocaine. Uh, the money was, 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 was too tempting for these guys. And... Uh, Lorraine Bracco plays his wife in it. She is terrific in this, right? There is no bad actor in this movie. Paul Sorvino, who, who doesn't have a lot of speaking roles in this, but just the way he carries himself, you're like, this is a feared, feared man in he's this. He's in command. Yes, he, 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 he's in command. And Henry is weak. He's, he becomes a drug addict. Uh, he has a penchant for copious amounts of women. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he... He's not truly he he's not truly evil. He's bad, but there but this is the you're you're actually happy that he survives in the end, right? right. You're you're not upset that Joe that Joe Pesci, who is a loose cannon gangster, who his own mafia family killed because of all the his atrocities, right. uh, and that uh, and that and that basically Robert De Niro, after the Lufthansa heist, which was the biggest heist in American history up to that point and for years after that. Six million dollars they robbed from a JFK cargo, cargo uh, holding the uh, center in uh, like 1978, uh, and then he starts killing all the guys who were associated with the crime. This is also little known fact: is Samuel L. Jackson in this movie uh, is uh, has has a small role, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a movie that uh, that that is timeless. It obviously got robbed from many Academy Awards uh, because it it is ultra violent. Uh, but uh, Goodfellas 
it's you know the the God the Godfather is the, is the number one gangster movie. Goodfellas is a, is a one A. It can't be a number two. It's sort of like a one A, just yeah, a slight notch below it. See, Martin Scorsese would later win Best Director for The Departed, but Departed was not even half as it good was as Goodfellas. It was. It was like Paul Newman in The Color of Money right. or Al Pacino in uh, Son of a Woman. Right. All right, you're up. So Chinatown, one of my favorites, written by the legendary Robert Town. Uh, whose friends call him Bob. Incidentally, Mr. Town did an uncredited rewrite on uh, The Godfather. And hmm. he, this is actually, he's he's been produced throughout his career. He's written over... Well, Mario Puzo's script wasn't that great. They had to kick him off the set in The Godfather. He's also a raging well, he's alcoholic. A, he's a too. novelist. Yeah. So he's coming from a different space. But Town is a guy with over 35 credits for many years was one of Hollywood's uh, more employed script doctors. And uh, this is a bit of information that came as a surprise to me. Chinatown was his first produced screenplay. And what a first film to get produced. Directed by Roman Polanski, starring Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway. By the way, her in that pretty much onesie sort of jumper that she's in is just... Absolutely the, stunning. The, mo, the most beautiful woman of the, of the 1970s. Of the era, exactly. And so Nicholson plays a, a private eye called J.J. Gitts, or Giddies rather. Um, and he is hanging out in his office, and one day Faye Dunaway comes in, and uh, she thinks that her husband's cheating on her. And so he's quite accustomed to these cases and likes them. He can close them quickly and, and get paid and on to the next one and and what he finds is not a quick and close case but rather a larger conspiracy within the Department of Water Works in Los Angeles County and so the result is one of the premier film noirs of all time and uh Truly, really, truly one of Nicholson's great performances in, a, in, in an era in the 70s where he turned out many. He dominated. He had, I think, another Academy Award for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, and I won't reveal the ending, but to those who either haven't seen the film or uh, will have it uh, in their queue, there were two endings. Uh, the ending you will see in the, uh, in the final cut Polanski version was heavily, heavily pushed by Polanski, and uh, he seems to think that he got it right, and seems to think that uh, if he hadn't ended the film that way, we wouldn't be talking about it. And I think he's on to something. <sighs> Chinatown, it, w- it wasn't a location, it's sort of like an aura, it's sort of right. like a state of mind. Yeah. Uh, Alright, I'm closing out my list with another Spielberg. Uh, I didn't want to put on two directors on this. But uh, Schindler's List. Uh, I think everybody has seen Schindler's List. It's obviously about, uh, about the worst sort of era in the, the history of the world, uh, the, the Holocaust uh, that took place from about 1936 to 40, uh, And it's also a story about redemption, right? With all the atrocities, with all the death around, this is a story about, about redemption. Uh, Oscar Schindler is a wealthy industrialist uh, a member of the Nazi Party, played by Liam Neeson. 
right? How this guy didn't win the Academy Award for this, I don't know. This this one about let won ten or eleven Academy Awards, but he didn't win best. He didn't win best actor for this. The Spielberg wins for best director, best uh, best picture, and then Ray Fiennes wins for uh, playing the psychopathic uh, Nazi uh, commander uh, Amon Goth in this. And uh, there's no bad cast member in this movie. Uh, obviously, it's shot in black and white. Uh, it's it, it's done that way to basically portray this awful era uh, in, the, in 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 this time during during World War II, uh, and uh, obviously the the struggle of, of every um, of every Jew who's in that prison camp. Uh, but but Schindler is this wealthy industrialist who profits in the beginning off of the Holocaust, um, but then. He has sort of a, 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 cha- a change of heart on this, and, 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 and he he has a humanitarian side to him. Was he at any point an anti-Semite, or was he just? I, he wasn't. An, he wasn't an anti-Semite. Yeah. He was a known womanizer, right? Mm-hmm. And he was an opportunist, right? Um, that he was a wealthy industrialist before that. He he made lots of money. He always had these fine tailored suits, right? And basically, the Nazis needed uh, needed sort of factories. He owned factories, right? And Jews were, you know, the, the the Jews were were sent there to work, uh, but he was a, he he didn't believe in the ideology. He believed in the prophet, right? Uh, but he had this change of heart. Uh, basically, about forty five minutes into the movie, you see this is he's not like the other Nazis, right? And while he can't save all the people in his camp, um, he creates a list, and uh, he loses all of his money from this. From this, by the way. And he would he would become he would go into failed businesses after this as well, right? But he saves uh, over eleven hundred, uh, and he pays for each one of them out of his own pocket. Um, and Ben Kingsley plays his sort of uh, his his Jewish accountant in this, right? And even his own accountant is telling him, you know, you, you can't you can't do this, right? You're gonna you you'll have no money it's left not over. Your best financial interest. Exactly, right. but. He, he wanted to save lives, right? And uh, the, the sort of the touching moment in this movie throughout all the death and destruction in this is at the, is at the end where they're showing uh, basically a big shot of the Schindler Jews, right? The Schindler Jews are generations of them. Uh, and uh, they go to his, births, uh, to his birth, birthplace every couple of years to celebrate this. And it's in, it's in the Czech Republic. Uh, and... Uh, these are people who generations that he has saved, uh, and it's incredibly heartbreaking. Uh, you see him as a as a broken man at the end. Obviously, you see him as a weak man. He has many affairs, uh, and uh, but he's he, he's somebody who who has a huge heart, uh, and and he put his heart over finance and over party alliance uh, because he basically creates a factory. That produces the worst, the worst sort of warfare or the or the, or the the worst ammunition, right, for the Nazi Party, and the Nazi Party stops paying him for this. It, it's so bad. He actually makes bad materials on so purpose that they won't be effective or use them at all. Exactly, and and the the cast in this is 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 is, is, is incredible. Uh, Ray Fiennes, who is so sadistic in this. Uh, and he actually develops a, a huge crush on his on his housekeeper, this enslaved woman. And you see him even right, 
wanting to save one life in this, right? And he would, he would like to he would like to exterminate all the Jewish, the Jewish population, except for this woman. Uh, and then obviously Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley is is fantastic in this. This is a movie where I see it once a year by myself. I cry in my, in my apartment from the beginning to the end. And you you, you got to be thinking to yourself is, would you, would you have done this if you were in Oscar Schindler's situation? Most people wouldn't have done this. Uh, and most people didn't. No, and most people didn't, exactly. They just stood by and, and, right. and let this happen uh, and profited from it. And, uh, you know, he, he dies broke, uh, but there's a... The state of Israel has honored him. They, have, they even have a day for him. Wow. Uh, there's a statue for him. Uh, and uh, he, he, he basically loses it all to save, uh, to, to save a thousand. And it's a great scene towards the end. They're just like, you know, there's, there'll, there'll, there'll be other prisoners. So, you know, one of the Nazi commanders told me, there's other, don't, don't, be so, don't be so obsessed with the names. There'll be others, right? You know, there, there's always others coming in on the train. Right. And he goes... No, he felt that he felt the closeness to him, and that he wanted uh, he wanted to save these because he had sort of known them and interacted with them. And there's this the final scene where I think Hitler knows that his his uh, his his days are numbered, and he he tells all of the uh, Nazi commanders that uh, exterminate as many as you can. And so uh, Liam Neeson gets gets uh, gets up in front of the entire factory. Where the Nazi uh, commanders and guards are surrounding uh, the factory workers, and he says, "You can uh, you can leave here today as murderers, right? Or you can leave here today as as men with uh, with with a decent heart, right? And uh, and sort of he saves them at the end, and uh, he dies broke. But uh, this is, I don't know. Steven Spielberg has made so many great movies. I like the, you know Close Encounter, Close Encounters, obviously worth." Was uh, was was terrific in, in Jaws, but uh, this is probably his greatest movie. You know what? He really hasn't replicated this type of magic. Yeah, he's done some he's done some great movies since then, but uh, he hasn't replicated this this type of magic. And is and it was obviously swept the Oscars, uh, except for the best actor category. I, I, I I'm I'm still like I mean Liam Neeson's doing Taken, you know, Taken Nine right. stuff, okay? But this is the movie. Yeah, yeah let's not. Forget. All right. I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen it. It's on my list. It sounds beautiful. Okay, so number five from recent Oscar winner Alfonso Cuaron. Y tu mamá también. Translated, and your mother also. And so this one is on the list because it takes the, the conventional road movie structure and almost uses it as metaphor for the emotional state of its characters. Um, we open the film with two impish teenage boys looking forward to summer without their girlfriends and the ensuing sexual adventures. Uh, they find themselves at a wedding, really smitten with this beautiful woman uh, who's aged 28 years and uh, they cook up this plan to invite her on this uh, road trip they've uh, they've long considered and she surprisingly says yes and what we know as an audience is that uh, she has recently been delivered news that her husband has been cheating 
And so that, I suppose, provides the impetus to go on a road trip with these two young studs. And uh, really, it becomes a story about you know, the frailty of male friendship. You put a beautiful woman between two best friends, and uh, hilarity ensues, but also conflict. And uh, I don't know if you've seen Quaron's other films, but he has this amazing ability to treat a blockbuster with the same subtlety he would treat a small indie movie like Itumama Tambien. And so this movie originated after he shot Great Expectations for a major movie studio. And so he got together with his old friend, Emmanuel Lubezki, Chibo Lubezki, who I think is a three-time Oscar winner for Best Cinematography. And uh, they, you know, they... Uh, reviewed the lamentable experience of having to work and adhere to certain creative demands from the studio. So they said, let's go do our own thing. Let's make a movie that we would have made before we went to film school, before the well was poisoned by everybody else's expectations. And so they went off and uh, Cuaron uh, cooked up the script with his brother Carlos and uh, Chivo Lubezki shot it. And uh, here we have a classic that I revisit at least once a year. A real, real testament to, to, to friendship. All right, Rye, this concludes the top 10 greatest movies of all time. We started with the worst. We finished with the best. Thank you very much and good night.